And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Lamar. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? Then you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, you know, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's part two of My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball and Richard Denning from 1949. Then Eric Dressler stars in a sinister tale on Murder at Midnight from 1946. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey. It's time now for the conclusion to Surprise Halloween Party on My Favorite Husband. Uh, speaking of the holiday weekend, what are you folks going to do? What holiday weekend? Monday is Halloween. Rudolph! Hmm? Monday is Halloween! No! <laughs> yes. Halloween, when people give parties and everybody comes in costume and you invite your best friends. Oh, sounds like fun. It's too bad someone isn't giving a party. Oh, Liz. Yes? There's something I've been meaning to ask you. Yes? Are you doing anything? No, not a thing. We'd love to come. What time? Eight o'clock. Fine, fine, yeah. fine. Yes. Eight o'clock Wednesday morning, we start collecting newspapers for the Salvation Army. <laughs> oh. Uh, come on, Liz. We'd better go. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, George. Uh, it's for such a worthy cause, Iris. Let's not wait till Wednesday morning. Let's start sooner, say, uh, Monday night. Well, uh, I'd like to, dear, but, but, but... Would you like an ashtray for that butt, darling? <laughs> Uh, 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 my mother, my mother isn't feeling well, and we're having dinner with her, yes. Yes. Yes, we always spend Halloween with the old witch. <laughs> Rudolph! What? Well, only trying to help? <laughs> don't bother. We don't have to have a brick atterbury fall on us to get the idea. Come on, George. Good night. Well, George, now are you satisfied? Uh, you were right, Liz. I can't get over it. I, I don't know what to do. Well, I do. While they're having their party, we'll soap their windows and kick over their garbage can. And stick a pin in their doorbell. No, I have a better idea, George. We'll give our own Halloween party and invite everyone but the Atterberries. There's not room in this town for both of us, George. The Atterberries must go. <laughs> There's a certain party in Sheridan Falls who is upset because she hasn't been invited to a certain party. If Liz only knew that the certain party is a surprise party for her, she'd be the most surprised party of all. 
Well, Liz is determined to get even, so right now, she's busy inviting all her friends to an opposition party that she's giving. Hello, Mary. Liz Cooper. Uh, we're giving a Halloween party tomorrow night, and we wondered if you... What? Oh, your mother's sick? Well, some other time. Goodbye. How are you doing, Liz? If the next three couples can come, we'll have six people at the party. <laughs> that doesn't sound like much of a party. Well, we can keep moving and make it look like a crowd. <laughs> Hello, Betty Ray? Liz Cooper. Uh, we're giving a party tomorrow night, and... Oh, you can't? Oh, she is. Well, goodbye, and tell your mother I hope she feels better. Bye. Another refusal. I don't get it. That makes the 14th one. It must be an epidemic of sick mothers. <laughs> well, I'll keep trying. Somebody's mother has to be healthy. I never heard of... So Hello, Margaret. Liz Cooper. I wondered if you and Hans could... Oh, you couldn't? <laughs> I didn't even ask you yet. <laughs> oh, you heard. Oh, your father's sick. Too bad. Well, bye, Margaret. Well, at least she's different. Her father's sick. Mm. I'll bet he caught it from someone's mother. <laughs> Don't you care, honey. You and I will have our own little party right here. George, something awful is wrong. Our best friends all turned us down. All of them. Well, forget it, baby. We'll take a course at Arthur Murray's and be successes again. <laughs> oh, it isn't funny. We're social misfits. We're being shunned by society. Oh, now let's not get carried away. Well, it's true. First the Atterbury's and then all our other friends, making excuses and acting funny. And that's not all. What do you mean? Even the birds have left our birdhouse. <laughs> they always go south this time of year. But this year they went early. <laughs> George, there's something horrible the matter with one of us. One of us? Yes, and I know it isn't you. Because you're just as wonderful as you've ever been. It's me, and I'm holding you back. Oh, now, Liz, now, don't talk like that. George, you're my best friend. Is, is there something even you haven't been able to tell me? Have I been careless about the little things? Well, now that you mention it, there is something I noticed... What? You've only been taking 30 seconds for your 60-second workout. Oh, George. How can you make jokes when we're social outcasts? Uh... Oh, well, now, honey, it isn't worth crying over. I'm not crying. I don't care about those people. I hate them. Well, I'm going to call up Atterbury right now and ask him what this is all about. No, he won't tell you. He'll be embarrassed. I know, George. I've got it. Let's go to the Atterbury's party. Liz, have you cracked your crock? <laughs> Don't you see? It's a costume party, so nobody will know us, and, and we'll mingle with the guests and say, isn't it shocking about the Coopers? And, and when they answer us, we'll find out the awful truth. <laughs> You've got something there, Liz. But uh, what kind of costume shall we wear? Well, the way people are acting, we ought to go dressed as a couple of skunks. <laughs> Drive faster, George. We'll be late for the party. Well, I still don't think we ought to go. These costumes we're wearing are so silly. Two policemen's uniforms and water pistols. Ah, uh, you're just mad because you're a sergeant and I'm a lieutenant. 
Kiss me, Sergeant. That's an order. Ah, <laughs> uh, couldn't you have gotten some other costumes? I told you the only other thing he had left was two halves of a horse. Well, what's, what's the matter with that? At least it would have been unusual. I'll say it would. They were both hind ends. George, can't you drive faster? Bad enough to be uninvited. Let's not be late, too. I'm doing 35. Oops, there goes another one. Another what? Well, every time a car goes to pass us, the driver sees our cop costumes and slows down. <laughs> We've got 15 cars lined up in back of us. <laughs> How do you like that? Hey, let's tune in the police calls. Let's play cops and robbers. Which station is it, George? Uh, way down at the end there. Oh, yeah. Calling car 29. Car 29. Investigate auto wreck at corner Elm and 8. If car not too badly damaged, make offer. The chief is looking for a car. Oh, great. Watch for robberies in Northside Residential District. Thieves in costumes crashing Halloween parties. Victims report some dressed as policemen. Uh-oh. And you had to pick up policemen's uniforms for us. Yeah. Oh, I don't like the feel of this. Let's go home. Oh, don't be silly, George. No one will bother us. Well, all right. Oh, oh no. Pull over the time. <laughs> now what do we do? He'll think we're those crooks. Well, don't stop. Keep on going. Nothing doing. I'll just uh, have to explain and hope he believes me. No, if he doesn't, we'll miss the party. Pretend you're a real cop. Liz. Go ahead. Well, I won't say anything. And why are we still holding up traffic? Oh, excuse me, Lieutenant, I didn't see you. <laughs> oh, that's all right. I was speaking to the Lieutenant. I apologize, Lieutenant. That's all right, uh, officer. Drive on, Sergeant. Oh, Lieutenant, uh, any fighter knows of those masquerading crooks? Uh, yes. There's no truth to that report. Forget about them. Drive on, Sergeant. Attention all cars. Keep special lookout for criminals in masquerade costumes. Drive on, Sergeant. Uh, just a minute. <laughs> I don't remember seeing you two on the force before. Well, uh, uh, you see, we're really plain clothesmen, but our plain clothes are being cleaned. <laughs> I thought so. Let me see your credentials. Certainly. Well, what do you know? Must have left them in my plain clothes. <laughs> That's all. Oh, no, it isn't. Let me see your credentials. What? Maybe you're the fake one. I can prove I'm a real cop. How? I got a witness. Sergeant? Yes, Lieutenant? Sergeant, am I a real cop? Yes, Lieutenant. There you are. Drive on, Sergeant. Just a minute. Let me see your badge. Let me see your badge. There. Sheridan Falls Police Force 158. Huh. Here, take a look at mine. That's enough. Not so fast. Well, let me see you. Post Toasties Junior G, man. Well, you see, we're not local cops. What's that Post Toasties business? That's for my serial number. <laughs> All right, you're coming with me. Oh, you really fixed this up, Liz. You'll never take us alive, George. I still got my gun one squirt for each of us. Come on, out of the car. Oh. Look, officer, we're not crooks. My name is George Cooper. I live at 321 Bundy Drive, and I'm vice president of the Sheridan Falls National Bank. Now, if you'll just follow us home, I'll show you plenty of identification. Well, 
Okay, but no funny business. Now just get in the back seat and go with you. Oh, thank you. Drive on, Sergeant. Oh, cut it out, Liz. Okay. Huh? This is our house, officer. Well, that better. Be. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look there at the side door, some figures slipping into our house. And they're in costume. Yeah. We found the game. Wait a minute. Have you led me into a trap? No, no. <laughs> Believe us. We don't know anything about it. Those people are crooks. And they're robbing our house. Oh, what'll we do? We better call the police. Yeah, we better call the... <laughs> What do you think I am, Western Union? <laughs> Well, we don't know if you're real or not. Let's not start that again. <laughs> They'll hear us. Oh, come on. We'll catch them red-handed. Okay. Now, quiet, everybody. We'll sneak up to the door. Okay. Now, let's rush them. All right, everybody, hands up. Iris! Mr. Atterbury! Let's go! Good boy! I knew it. You're all in this together. You mean this is a surprise party for us? Yes. You didn't suspect a thing, did you? Well, not a thing. And what wonderful costumes you have. Okay. Hands up, everybody. Oh, for goodness sakes. Introduce us to your friend, Liz. I can't get over it. A surprise party and all the time we thought nobody liked us. Now listen to me. Hands up, everybody. <laughs> Look, look, fella, you made your entrance, the gag's over. Oh, here we have all these wonderful friends, and we thought nobody liked us. The hands up, please! <laughs> look, look, Buster, you're overdoing your act. And take that false face off, it's horrible. Won't anybody put their hands up? I'm gonna tell my sergeant about this. Oh, George. Yes, Lucille. Bob, if I'm not being too personal, how many people do you think eat jello puddings? You know, I've been wondering the same thing. You have. How did you happen to ask me that just at this moment? Well, I don't know. It was just the next line in my script. Uh, <laughs> why don't we ask a fortune teller, Bob? My rates are very reasonable. You, a fortune teller? Yeah, don't tell a soul. See, my real name isn't Lucille. It's Crystal. Crystal Bow. <laughs> Step right into my tent and I will tell the future for you. <laughs> Good afternoon. Are you Madame Ball? Cross my palm with silver. But your hand is bandaged. What, what happened? My last customer crossed my palm with silver. Well, who was he? The Lone Ranger. <laughs> what is it you wish to know? I know all. Nothing is unknown to me. Now, wait a minute. Where'd I put that crystal ball? Oh, here it is. Tell me, madam, as you gaze into the future, do you see any jello chocolate pudding absolutely luscious with deep-down chocolatey goodness? Well, let me take a look. Let's see. There's the results for tomorrow's races. We don't want those. Uh, 
the inauguration of our next president. No, no, no. Uh, who's going to play in the Rose Bowl game? No, 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 nope. Nothing here about Jell-O chocolate pudding. Well, how about Jell-O butterscotch pudding with that buttery brown sugar flavor? Or Jell-O vanilla pudding, rich and smooth as cream? Oh, now, let me see. Aha! Uh-huh. Are they swell desserts for the kids? Yes. Or do you simply add milk and they cook to velvety perfection in just about five minutes? That's it. Nope, don't see a thing about them. <laughs> You forgot to cross my palm with silver. All right, here. Well, look at all the jello puddings. Everyone's crazy about them. Old people are saying jello puddings are fine. Young people are saying jello puddings are great. Gay people are saying jello puddings are swell. <laughs> Be sure to listen to Lucille Ball and my favorite husband again next week. This is CBS the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's My Favorite Husband from October 28, 1949, with a surprise Halloween party starring Lucille Ball along with Richard Denning. It was sponsored by J-E-L-L-O, as heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's Murder at Midnight. Don't go away. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360 across about 200 radio stations coast to coast. I want to remind all of our listeners that we have a website and also a podcast at Hollywood360radio.com. You know, not all of our radio stations, Lisa and Mike, carry the full four-hour show each week. It's a tragedy, That's I know. It's a disappointment. It's really a tragedy. Maybe yeah, you can when work they don't. on that. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing we can do. We will, uh, we will honor whatever our radio stations want, but we do have a podcast with the full four hours. And uh, although the podcast is always one week behind, it's there in all its glory at our website, which is Hollywood360radio.com. Check it out. There's also thousands and thousands of pictures of Lisa there. You won't want to miss that. No. All right. It's time now for Murder at Midnight. This was a really creepy series, Lisa. came to ABC Radio in 1946, and Raymond Morgan, who was a former Long Island minister, he left the cloth for the excitement of radio to host this show. I mean, he was like, I'm out of here. I want to get into radio. Yeah, I I kind of understand that. I like (laughs) radio. It was on the air for six years, and it had New York's best supporting actors like Lawson Zerby, Carl Swenson, Lon Clark, Barry Kroger, Raymond Edward Johnson, and many others. Now, this particular episode 
stars Eric Dressler in Death's Goblet. Let's go back to October 21st, 1946 now for part one of Murder at Midnight. Murder at Midnight. They'll hang me like a common criminal, and I didn't mean it. You know I didn't. Oh, stop whining, Gerald. Take your medicine like a man. What? All right, Harvey, I'll stop. You're responsible for the whole thing. You know you are. And since they can only hang me once, even for two murders... Midnight, the witching hour when the night is darkest, our fears the strongest, and our strength at its lowest ebb. Midnight, when the graves gape open and death strikes. How? You'll learn the answer in just a minute in Death's Goblet. And now, Murder at Midnight. Tales of Mystery and Terror by Radio's Masters of the Macabre. Our story by Sigmund Miller is Death's Goblet. It all began at one of Arthur Cunningham's parties. He always gave a party when he came back from one of his trips abroad. I went there with Gerald, my partner, and his wife, Susan. Beautiful Susan. Did I care for her? (laughs) People used to say so. But she was too self-centered a woman for me. Now, I like to look at her just as I like to look at anything that's uh, lovely. That was all. As for Gerald... Well, he was rich, which was the only reason he was my partner. But suppose I start at the beginning, at the moment we got to the party and Arthur came over. Well, hello, Harvey. Glad you came. Wonderful to see you back, Arthur. You know Gerald and his lovely wife, Susan. Of course. Hello, lovely wife, Gerald. It's nice to see you again, Arthur. Good trip, Arthur. Marvelous. And you're just in time for a drink. Uh, let's get away from this mob. Come into the study. I just opened my last bottle of Chateau Albert. Oh, nice. Here we are. Oh, well, someone get the glasses out of the cabinet, will you? (laughs) Mom's parties make me very nervous. Here we are. Hi. What an odd goblet this one is. Oh, uh, put that one back, Susan. Why, what's wrong, Arthur? Uh, Use any of the others, but not that one. Oh, I'll be careful of it, if that's what you're worried about. It's not that. I just don't want you to drink from it. What's all the mystery about, Arthur? Well, you'd all think I was mad if I told you. Uh, Take a look at it. It's a very strange-looking glass. Yes, looks uh, Venetian, possibly from Murano. It is. This red spot here on the side. Yes, it's supposed to be a drop of blood. That's very odd. How do you know that? Well, Gerald, this goblet has a legend, a terrible legend. And, of course, none of you will believe it, but the story is that anyone who drinks from this goblet will kill someone. Oh, that's wonderful. And you believe it? Why, yes, Gerald. You see, I've had proof. Good heavens. I, well, I once drank from this goblet. What? Arthur, you're joking. You mean that Yes, Susan, it was justifiable homicide, but after I drank from it, I did kill someone. (gasps) He was a thief and he attacked me, but still I killed him. Well, you never told us about that. There's not anything that I care to remember particularly. Oh, how terrible for you, Arthur. Where did you get the goblet? From a murderer. A man who killed his wife. They were auctioning off his estate. Hmm. Extraordinary. May I look at the glass, Arthur? Yes, if you like. Everyone stared at the goblet in silence as I held it to the light. It had a delicate brown tint, reminding me of old blood, except that it sparkled 
and glittered. The spot of red did look like a drop of blood about to roll down the side. It seemed ridiculous that this inanimate object would make men commit murder, and yet there was something about it that that fascinated me, and suddenly I wanted to drink out of it. That's the first portion of Murder at Midnight. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to Murder at Midnight. You seem very interested in my goblet, Harvey. Yes, will you pour some wine in it for me? What? No, Harvey. This happens to be one superstition I believe. Everyone who has ever put his lips to this goblet has killed. I don't know why it's so, but it is. Oh, it's silly, of course, but why tempt fate? Oh, nonsense, Gerald, nonsense. I'm going to drink out of it. You'll have to pour the wine yourself, Harvey. All right, I will. Well, here's, um, health and, uh, long life. No, Harvey, I won't let you. Oh, my Susan... You shouldn't have done that. You've spilled some of Arthur's best burgundy and ruined a good tablecloth. It doesn't matter. I'm glad you did it, Susan. I won't let you or anyone else drink from that glass. It's strange to get so distressed about a ridiculous legend. I don't think murder is ridiculous. You know, I'd like to get rid of it. I was thinking of destroying it. Well, why don't you just fling it against the fireplace? No, I can't. Huh? I've tried several times, but somehow I couldn't. Um, Arthur. Yes? How about uh, giving it to me? I'd rather not. Oh, come on. You want to get rid of it, and I have a fine glass collection. I, I'd, I'd like to add to it. I'll keep it locked up. You'll be sorry, but if you want it that badly, Harvey, it's yours. Arthur, please don't give it to him. Susan, what's the matter with you? You watch over Harvey as if... Well, as if... As if what, Gerald? Oh, the whole business is absurd. Of course it is. Yes, and if I should drink out of it and commit a murder, that would be the most absurd thing of all. <laughs> I kept the goblet on the mantelpiece in my library where the lamplight made it glitter. I discovered that the red drop was not paint. It was ingrained in the glass. Oh, very cleverly. One night, both Susan and Gerald were at my home. As we chatted, I got up, went to the mantelpiece, and idly toyed with the goblet. That goblet... It's the one Arthur gave. Yes, yes, you remember. He gave it to me. Why don't you smash it, Harvey? Get rid of it. Ooh, gives us all the creeps. Mm. Well, Gerald, you aren't really afraid of a piece of glass, are you? You don't believe Arthur's story at all, do you, Harvey? On the contrary, Susan, I do believe it. But uh, not the way you think. What do you mean? Well, I mean to say murder is not in the goblet. It's in me, in you. Even in, in Gerald. Oh, what a silly thing to say, Harvey. Oh, yes. You don't need a magic goblet to commit a murder. All you have to do is let yourself go. Let go of the civilized controls that tie you up. Why, oh. Gerald, if you had cause, you could murder me or even your lovely wife. Oh, I couldn't kill a fly. Oh, but you could if the fly gave you enough trouble. Now, supposing, uh, just as an example, supposing that you discovered that Susan was really in love with me and only married you for your money. <laughs> Wouldn't that make you want to murder her, Gerald? Oh, you're crazy. That's not very funny, Harvey. Even you, Susan. What? Even though you have a lovely face and exquisite hands, even you could commit murder. Why, there must have been times when you hated Gerald, or only for a moment, of course. But in that moment, yeah, 
In that moment, if you were not so civilized... Stop it, Harvey. Why, you could even put your lovely hands around my throat. Oh, stop it, Harvey. <laughs> You're not that important to her. And then just why are we on this gruesome subject? That's Harvey's idea of humor. Susan looked at me, a touch of red, at the point where the cheekbones make the skin taut. She seemed angry, but she wasn't really. Oh, yes, she loved me. I could see it in her face. She looked at me for a moment... And then dropped her eyes. May I look at the goblet, Harvey? No, I'm afraid not, Susan. You might accidentally drop it. It might be a good idea. Well, I have an even better one, Gerald. And that's to go home before we get really serious about this murder business. I sat there staring at the goblet after they left. It, it fascinated me, glittering in the lamplight. And as I looked at it... It almost seemed as if the red spot of blood was uh, uh, moving, rolling down its side. Why, why shouldn't I drink from it? Why? And before I knew it, I'd taken it down and put it on the table. I got a bottle of burgundy, opened it, and I poured slowly, filling the goblet just up to the red spot. And then I drank from it. seemed to me that the wine had a, a different taste, although I had drunk this wine often and knew its taste well. It was delicious. I had another. It was heady, and it made me a little dizzy, although I felt fine and, and, and free. Yes, light and dizzy. But, but after a while, when the dizziness wouldn't go away, I decided to go for a drive, even though it was close to midnight. I drove fast The speed and power of the car gave me a feeling of great exhilaration I took the turns at full speed Enjoying the danger of the sharp curves Then I came to a long, level stretch of road I pressed down hard on the gas The needle of the speedometer slowly moved upward 60, 70, 80, 85 the road, like a black ribbon, rolled up in front of me. And then I suddenly saw him, but it was too late. I struck him with my right fender. He never made a sound. The car swerved a little from the impact. My heart in my throat. I stopped. Then I... I backed up. Backed up. Backed up. Backed up to where the body was lying, sprawled grotesquely on the edge of the road. One look was enough. He was dead. But no one had seen the accident. I stepped on the gas and drove off. Death's goblet and the man who drank from it. A corpse lying limp by the side of a lonely road. And a car speeding away as the clock strikes twelve for... Murder! Midnight. Harvey challenged the curse of the goblet and found it true. He had just killed a man after drinking from it. Let's listen to him as he continues the story of Death's Goblet. I knew now that the story of the goblet wasn't a myth, and I also knew what I was going to do about it. The next night, I got Gerald to come to my house to do some work. 
I can't make head or tail out of your cost estimates, Harvey. Oh, now, really, Gerald, it's very simple. Just concentrate. Oh, why can't you take care of it like a good fellow? I'm awfully tired. Well, all right, let's stop for a couple of minutes. Have a drink. Oh, what are you doing, Harvey, the goblet? Why, you don't really believe that story of Arthur's, do you? Well, You're much too intelligent for that. Mm. Well, you only pretended in front of Susan, didn't you? Well, I... <laughs> oh, yes, had to pretend, you know, women. Well, of course. And even if you did believe it, I have a feeling that... Basically, you're pretty reckless, aren't you? Well, I used to be pretty wild when I was a young fellow. <laughs> on a motorcycle once and... Yes, yes, I know, yes. Well, let's drink up. Find me a victim, will you, Gerald? Huh? Well, you know, according to the legend, I've got to murder someone... Uh, maybe even you. <laughs> Harvey the murderer. <laughs> yes. Hmm, <laughs> uh. very nice wine. How about another? Right. Well, here's to uh, your lovely wife. And um, how about switching glasses? Huh? Well, you might as well get a kick out of it, too. Um, well, uh, <laughs> okay. Here goes. I watched the fool swagger as he drank down the wine. In an hour, when he was alone, he'd be shivering with fright at what he'd done. Well, I did it. You certainly did. By the way, Gerald. Yes? I checked Arthur's story about this goblet. Yeah? And it seems that he's right. Everyone who ever put his lips to this goblet has committed a murder. You mean... Well, of course, it's all coincidence, but uh, then again, who knows? All the next week, I kept reminding Gerald about his drinking from the goblet. I wasn't really trying to get him to kill, but it was amusing to see him get upset and uneasy. And I noticed he was getting a little bolder, particularly with Susan, and had developed a temper. And one night... Just as I was about to retire. Hello, is that you, Harvey? Yes, Susan, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm just a little worried about Gerald. He oh. usually gets home at about six and it's eleven o'clock now. Do you know where he might be? Why, he's having dinner with his sister. His sister? Yes, a tall, dark girl. She was in the office today and... The... Harvey, Gerald has no sisters. Oh, he hasn't? No. Oh, uh, I, um... Uh, I guess I got him mixed up with someone else. Yes, yes, it, it was Les Gordon who was meeting his sister. Yes, Gerald had some business to take care of over in Milford. You're and not that... very good at covering up, Harvey. I'm coming right over. Please wait up for me. <laughs> good. Things were beginning to happen. It was becoming very interesting. Now we'd see. Harvey, I want you to tell me everything. I must know. Who is this girl? Take it easy, Susan. Come, sit down, sit down. Oh, never mind that. What about Gerald? I don't know anything about Gerald's private life. And besides, you're not the one to talk. What on earth do you mean? You know perfectly well what I mean. You don't really care for Gerald. Actually, you're in love with me. Harvey. Well, you are, aren't you? Maybe. Sometimes I think I am. <laughs> Oh, but you're too cold-blooded. I'd never be sure I could trust you. As a matter of fact, you'd like to get rid of Gerald. Why, why do you say that? Well, I'm just putting your thoughts into words. You never really loved him, did you? Oh, but Harvey... And he's finally become 
unbearable, hasn't he? Oh, Harvey, if you only knew. Do you know that the last time Gerald was here, he drank out of that goblet of Arthur's? It's possible that he wants to get rid of you, too. Oh, stop it! Stop it, you hear? Well, I'm just telling you what I think you ought to know. Oh, we'll see. I left word at home that Gerald was to meet me here. And if he does come, well, we'll see. We sat and waited, not talking much. Susan's face was pale and agitated. It was most exciting. Susan, with all her charm and embellishments, was really a fierce animal underneath. I could almost hear her rage seething. Are you expecting anyone? Just Gerald. Well, let him in. Hello, Harvey. Susan, what's up? Why did you leave word to meet you here? It's almost midnight. Where have you been all the evening? At Milford. With whom? What's going on, anyway? What are you so excited about, Susan? What were you doing in Milford? Why, I went there on business. Oh, really? You've been behaving very strangely lately, Gerald. If you don't love me, why don't you say so like a man? What? This is all your fault, Harvey. You've been filling her head with poison. I... I had nothing to do with this. I told her that you went to Milford. All he did was to make me see clearly something I've felt for a long while. And I think this is the time to do something about it. Sue, are you out of your mind? Put that gun down. You remember it, don't you? You gave it to me. Said it might be useful in an emergency. Harvey, take that gun away from her. She's liable to shoot. She won't shoot. She's only trying to frighten you. Am I? Let's see. Oh, my shoulder. Give me that no. gun. Give me no. <laughs> Oh. Harvey, she, she's dead. Yes, Gerald, and you killed her. But, but it was an accident. She shot at me, and I was only trying to get the gun away from her. You know that's what happened. I only know that you drank from that goblet and that you killed her. What? But, oh, you, you dirty treacherous. You planned all this so that you could get rid of me, so that you could have Susan. You could have the firm for yourself. You'll have to do better than that to beat the gallows, Gerald. The gallows? Please, Harvey. We've been friends for a long time. You can't let me down. You wouldn't have pressed the trigger if you hadn't had murder in your heart, Gerald. You shot her because you wanted to. That's what I saw. I believe in telling the truth. Harvey, I'll turn over the business to you. I'll do anything, anything, if you'll just... I don't accept bribes, Gerald. All right. But I'll fool you... I'll call the police myself. Well, there's the phone. I'll prove my case in court. They won't convict me. Operator. Operator. Give me the police. Hello? Police department? This is Gerald Hamilton. I, I just accidentally shot my wife. And my friend's home. Yes, she's dead. The address is 411 Grove Street. That's right. I killed her. Accidentally. Yes. I'll be waiting here. Cigarette, Gerald? Oh, treating me like a condemned man, huh? Well, I'm not going to die. All I have to do is tell the truth about everything, including you. Oh, but you forget, Gerald. There must be fingerprints, your fingerprints on that gun. That won't look very accidental, will it? I... But... But Harvey... You I... did it, Gerald. I saw you. If you don't back me up, they'll hang me like a common criminal. Please, Harvey... Don't let them do that to me, please. Oh, stop whining, Gerald. What? All right, Harvey. I'll stop. You're responsible for this whole thing. You know you are. And since they can only hang me once... He raised the gun, but I'd been expecting it. I grabbed his hand, pushed it against his chest. My finger pressed on his and on the trigger. And suddenly, the 
He went limp. You won't get away. My alibi was perfect. All I had to do was wait for the police that he himself had called. The minutes ticked slowly away. And then... Hello, Harvey. Arthur. Glad I found you in. Say, you look as if you'd been in a fight. Arthur, you'd, uh, you'd better not come in. Why? What's the matter? No, no, you'd better not come in. Oh, but why? Well, uh, uh, Gerald and uh, Susan, they, they had a quarrel and he killed her. What? And then he shot himself. What are you talking about, Harvey? Well, all right, come in. Look for yourself. Good. Good Lord. Tried to kill me, too. But but why? It doesn't sound like him or like either of them. I don't know why. Fit of insanity? Or maybe it was the... The goblet. Your goblet. He drank out of it, you know. The goblet? Why, that's ridiculous. As he spoke, he picked up the gun. It made me furious. All those fine fingerprints of Gerald's were now erased. Put that gun down, Arthur. There are fingerprints on it. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. I tried to get hold of myself. The stupid fool, he was going to ruin everything. But I had to keep calm. What, uh... What were you saying about the goblet? Why, it has no curse or magic. I just made that story up. You... You... You made it... You mean... Of course, I bought the goblet in an antique shop. As a matter of fact, I have a whole set of them. The pulses hammered away in my head. A vast, uncontrollable anger seized me. Was it because of those precious fingerprints that he'd wiped out? Or because I had believed in the goblet myself? I don't know. I only know that I had to fight to keep from grabbing him by the throat. You know... I don't think you're telling me everything you know about this horrible business, Harvey. In fact... A red-hot wave came over me. I don't remember exactly what happened. Let me go! Get your hands off me! Arthur's body is lying there, too, now. Next to Susan's and Gerald's. But the police will be here any minute, so I have to hurry. First, the goblet. There. That's done. That... No. Some of the broken fragments still glitter in the lamplight. I've got to crush them. Grind them to powder under my heel. What? But there are always other pieces that I can't find. They're... They're hiding from me. They're afraid of me. But I'll find every piece. I'll find them. I'll find them. Three bodies lying huddled on the floor, and a madman crushing the fragments of the broken goblet to powder as the police car drives up and the clock strikes twelve for murder at midnight. Remember to be with us again when death appears at the door, wearing the face of a friend, and the clocks strike twelve for murder at midnight. The part of Harvey was played by Eric Dressler. 
With music by Charles Paul, Murder at Midnight was directed by Anton M. Leder. And that's Murder at Midnight from October 21st, 1946, with Death's Goblet, starring Eric Dressler, also in that cast, were John Griggs and Raymond Morgan as our hosts. That was syndicated. It's time now for a break. When we come back, it's more of Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Do you love classic radio shows? Now you can receive 10 classic radio shows on five CDs every month by joining the Classic Radio Club. Hi, I'm Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club so fans can receive the best of the best from my library each and every month. Join now and receive your first 10 classic radio shows on five CDs, a $39.95 value for only $4.99. Then every month, I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows and mail them to you on five cds every show will be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show log on to classicradioclub.com to join and receive your first 10 classic radio shows on five cds for only 4.99 that's classicradioclub.com or call toll free 888-642-6556 that's 888-642-6556 Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, next time it's Inner Sanctum Mystery starring Boris Karloff. You won't want to miss that. Then it's part one of the adventures of Ozzy and Harriet as they explore a haunted house. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.